Take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, open to Romans uh, chapter 2, and the children are dismissed to Children's Church this time. Uh, But Romans uh, chapter 2, this morning we'll be looking at verses uh, 1 through 5. Romans chapter 2. Let's uh, read together the Word of God. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when the righteous judgment, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Let's pray this morning. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would uh, speak to us from your word. We believe that your word is is living and active. And so uh, we do ask that it would be living and active in our midst, that the Holy Spirit would uh, would go forth as we are sharing this word and and uh, instruct us and teach us and correct us and and reprove us, that you would bring us to the cross of Christ and that we would see the salvation that we have in him and would be uh, penitent, repentant in our hearts, Lord, uh, coming before you and receiving your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a time, one time, I was on my way to a a Good Friday service, and uh, I got pulled over for speeding. And the worst part about it was, is the only place I could get off the road when the cop caught me was right at the bottom of the driveway to the church. And our plan had been there to be early. And so as we sat there waiting for the cop to run my plates and run my license and write up the ticket, everybody that was coming to church that night saw that the pastor had been pulled over for speeding. Now, I didn't do this, but how would it look if the very next Sunday I preached a message on the evils of speeding? And I lectured everyone, thou shalt not speed. And I brought all the rebukes that we might find against disobeying the government, but never said anything about my own speeding ticket. How would that look? Maybe you've been in situations in your life where people have lectured you on something or rebuked you on something or corrected you on something. And then later you found them to be doing the very same thing. It's sort of like the gym teacher or health teacher that says to the students, smoking is bad, don't do it. And then after school, you find the teacher out there lighting up a cigarette. What do you think of that? There are all kinds of examples in our culture, in our world, in our own lives of people that judge other people and then get busted or caught for doing the same things. We need to be careful as Christians that as we speak the, what the Bible says and we address issues of sin, that we are dealing with the sin in our own hearts. 
that we do not exempt ourselves from the things that we talk about when we talk about sin. That we are not saying we are better than other people, but we are saying that we all need a Savior, and here is why. Our main point this morning is, if you understand what sin is, don't harden your heart, but repent. Don't harden your heart and think that sin is something that is in someone else. That you rail against it when you see it in other people and then assume because you call out sin, you are somehow righteous or better than others. We aren't justified before God by what sins we call out and condemn. It doesn't make God love us more or make us better in the eyes of God because we call out sin. If you understand what sin is, don't harden your heart, but repent. First this morning, if you understand what sin is, do not stand in judgment over other people. Look at verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Paul is saying we don't have an excuse before God if we are judging others for our sin. Particularly, the focus is you are calling out someone for doing something that you yourself are doing, especially in secret even. When we heap judgment on other people but have sin in our own life that we are practicing We don't have an excuse. This is the same word that was used over in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 where it says so that all are without excuse. When it's talking about how we see the the eternal attributes, the divine nature of God in all creation and reject it, Paul says we are without excuse. The same idea here is if you are railing at other people about their sins and you have the very same ones, you don't have an excuse. You don't have a place to hide. You cannot stand before God and say, God, but but I called other people a sinner and showed them your way and what they should do and how they should live when you yourself We're doing the very same things you're instructing other people not to do. You don't have a defense. You don't have a place to hide. In the flow of Romans here, starting in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul starts to go into the wrath of God being revealed in all kinds of sin and unrighteousness. And then he goes on and he talks about sin. And this section goes all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. And in chapter 3, he starts to build the case that all have sinned. Both Jew and Gentile are under sin. There is no one good, no one righteous, no one who seeks after God. Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. But as this development flows, some of the sins he's looking at in chapter one, particularly uh, the idolatry and the homosexuality and some of the other things, uh, the covetousness and all of those things were particularly common in the Gentile world. And at this point, the church in Rome is probably made up of people who are are both Jews and Gentiles. But but some of the sins were very common 
in the pagan world. In fact, we have some other sources, some other Jewish writers that have written some things, and there's one or two lists uh, that they write that sound very similar to what Paul says in Romans in terms of the types of sins uh, that they mention. But now the other shoe in chapter 2 is going to drop, so to speak. The other shoe is going to drop. In other words, there could have been some people that were saying in their own minds, in their own hearts, Jewish people saying, that's right, those sinful pagan Gentiles, thank God we are not like them. We grew up in the synagogue. We know our Bibles. We didn't fall into those kinds of sins. And Paul turns the tables, as it were, to address this type of person. The type of person who's grown up knowing the Scriptures, hearing the Torah, the Bible, and the Old Testament, knowing that they shouldn't do these things. The type of people also that you see like in the Pharisees when they develop a smugness. Thank God I'm not like those pagan Gentiles. Look at how awful they are. That's the type of judgment we're talking about. They're condemning them and yet at the same time practicing the same things. If we are judging others, but doing the same things, we are actually condemning ourselves. The second half of verse 1. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourselves because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Do you remember when you were maybe a little kid? And, you know, you point the finger at someone and you say, you did such and such. And and maybe it was a friend or maybe it was a, a, a sibling. They they kind of give you that sassy response back that, you know, for every finger that you point at me, there's there's three pointing back at you uh, kind of response. This, this is sort of the idea here. If you are are pronouncing guilt on other people. But not examining your own heart, not confessing your own sin, thinking that you are somehow morally superior and in the right and are therefore justified to point the finger at other people. You are condemning yourself. Your own words condemn you because you're saying this sin is wrong. And yet secretly you are doing it. There is no cover for you. Your sin is is going to be exposed. I think this specifically concerns some of the boasting that you would have found among uh, Jewish people at the time. This attitude of of we have God's law. We are God's chosen people. We are morally superior because we know idolatry is wrong and homosexuality is wrong and all of the evil and covetousness and unrighteousness and faithlessness and all the things Paul mentioned in chapter 1. We know they are wrong. But then the question arises, did they actually obey God? It does us no good to simply know in our minds that sin is wrong and then participate with them in our hearts and with our bodies. Look over at Romans chapter 2, verse 21 to 23, as Paul drives home this argument. He says, when you teach others, do you teach yourself? When you preach against stealing, do you steal? When you say that one must not commit adultery, 
Do you commit adultery? When you abhor idols, do you rob the temples? When you boast in the law, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Part of Paul's argument is to say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so there are people that that sin very publicly and everyone sees it and everyone knows it. And there are also people who sin very privately. And sometimes those are the people that call others out for their own sin or for the sin of others, but never take the time to examine their own sin. Jesus says similar things in Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you measure, it will be measured against you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you have a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, uh, and when you see it, uh, when you see clearly, take to, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So you just have to kind of imagine this. Imagine you have a little eyelash uh, trapped in your eye, and you go to the doctor, and you, you, you're going to need help uh, getting this out of your eye. And you come in, and the doctor's eye is swollen. He's been punched in the face. He has some kind of something or other sticking out of his eye, and he, he squints a little bit and looks at you and says, okay, let me, let me help you get that eyelash out. And, and you're kind of like, physician, heal thyself first. This is what Jesus is getting at. Jesus also speaks against the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 3. He says to the people, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. This is the kind of judgment that Paul is talking about. He's talking about religious boasting. He's talking about when you live and act like you're superior to other people. These were not people who were coming with a good heart, who were coming alongside a, a brother in Christ and say, you know, I, I see you struggling with a sin here and and you know it's wrong, and I know it's wrong, and let me help you, and I've struggled with this in the past. This is not the kind of person that's having an honest conversation and faithfully using Scripture to say, look, you know, Scripture does call certain things sin, and we need to, to be faithful to Scripture. This is the kind of person that is taking the Word of God and using it as a means of beating other people up. Oh, you horrible sinner without ever saying, I'm a sinner too. Saying, you need to do this. And they're preaching to you and saying, this is how we live. And then they're in themselves not even doing the things that they are saying Scripture demands. They can see the faults in others, but they acknowledge no fault in and of themselves. It's the person who does not repent, the person who does not examine their own hearts. As an aside, there is an appropriate time 
to call sin, sin. Paul is not saying that when we preach the gospel, we we never label things sin. We don't talk about it. We don't actually address what the Bible calls evil. Paul is saying, how dare you think that evil is out there in other people and not deal with what's going on in your own heart? Paul is not, and Jesus also are not saying that there's not appropriate times to handle sin in the life of the church. In fact, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this. He says, now I'm writing to you now. Yeah, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother. If he is guilty of sexually sexual immorality or greed or idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging others? Is it not those inside the church with whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. But for us, purge the evil from within you. What does Paul mean there? There are appropriate times in the life of the church where someone is claiming to be a brother in Christ and they are living in all sorts of sins And you have to gently and in love, but properly say you're acting in such a way that doesn't reflect Christ. And we don't know if you're a genuine believer and you have to cut some of those ties because the person is pretending to represent Christ. So there is an appropriate time to do some judging, to evaluate some things, to say, are you really representing Christ or even call a person to say, you know, you've got to come back to the Lord here. But we don't do that with an air of superiority. The type of judgment that Paul is talking about is what you might label being judgmentalistic, judgmentalism, where you are not concerned about yourself. You are concerned about railing on other people. And you think the more you call out sins in other people, the better you look. It is like the Pharisee who stands up in the temple praying and says, thank God I am not like that Gentile tax collector over there. Because I'm better than them. And I tithe and fast twice a week. That is what Paul is talking about. That is what Jesus is talking about. We cannot be people who call out sin in others, but allow ourselves to participate in it. Are you tough on yourself? Do you confess and repent of your own sins? Or do you get sort of a perverse pleasure at yelling at other people when they sin. There are people out there today that bear the name of Christ, that claim to be a Christian church, and they seem to get a a perverse sort of pleasure in yelling at all the sins of other people. And you wonder, do they even recognize the sins in their own life? couple things that we can unpack here as examples. But first, religious moralism is sinful. This is the types of attitudes that can come in this sort of judgmentalism, a sort of religious moralism where you think you are better because you've gone to church or or read your Bible or, you know, uh, the Ten Commandments. It can be so easy 
to be smug and judgmental. And, and I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, I grew up in a Christian church and, and there have been times in my life where you can sort of just be, particularly when I was younger, sort of just think, well, because I grew up in a, a good home, I have it so much better. And thank God I don't struggle with those kinds of sins. And then something happens in your life and you get the kind of rude awakening of the Holy Spirit that, yes, I struggle with sin as well. I am not any different. This sort of religious moralism, that you see it in the Pharisees. No doubt there are many benefits from going to church at a, a young age. There can be benefits being raised in a, in a good home. The point, however, is that before God, each and every person stands as just, just as much a sinner as the next person. You may have been raised in a good home, and that's a blessing from God, but it doesn't make you morally superior above others. It doesn't make you better in the eyes of God. Oftentimes, we think that we will go to heaven if we lived the good life, if we, we didn't engage in the big sins. I was a moral person. I went to church regularly. As a pastor, sometimes I encounter people like this. Well, I grew up in a good home. Well, my parents took me to Sunday school and they think that that gives us the inside track with God. Well, of course, I'm going to go to heaven because I haven't done anything big. I've tried to live the moral life. I know my Bible. If you have not confessed and repented before the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if you are um, it doesn't matter what kind of sinner you are, you're condemned. You can be a very moral, upright, decent person in society, a good Pharisee, and you will be condemned and sentenced to hell because you have sin, because we all have sin. And you are no better in the eyes of God, than the worst criminal, the worst murderer, the worst thief. Your sin may be hidden from the world, but it's not hidden from God. If you stand and rail judgment against the murderer, but have hate in your heart, Jesus' hate is just like murder. If you stand and rail against the adulterer and the person who, who does not uphold the sanctity of marriage, and yet you never confess the sins of lust in your own heart, Never come before the cross of Christ for those things. You are no better. For to look at a woman in lust, Jesus says, is to commit adultery in your heart. It's sin. We also need to avoid, uh, not only do we have a religious moralism, kind of thinking sometimes because we grew up in church, we're better than other people. We have sort of a cultural moralism going on today. Uh, you see it, I think, particularly in this heightened political climate and season where you have people that assume, well, just because I'm conservative, thank goodness I'm not immoral like those liberals. Or just because I'm liberal, thank goodness I care about uh, poor people and people getting their health care, not like those evil conservatives. But how many times have you seen in our day and age the, the family values candidate, the good uh, politically conservative person, get caught in sexual immorality? We could multiply examples, but the point is you can't rail about sin 
over there without and at the same time tolerate the sin in your own heart, in your own life, in your own camp. I just yesterday read a story in The Atlantic uh, about a woman who who worked for a, a decent Christian ministry that's been well known for defending the marriage and and focusing and emphasizing on the family. And and she wrote a story, apparently, in the Washington Post about her experiences uh, with sexual abuse. And and when she wrote it, the, the intent and the way that I guess she ended it was she also criticized people who were not speaking out against it, particularly people who were giving passes to their own uh, political candidates and, and Christian leaders she criticized who weren't speaking out against this great evil. And to make a long story short, she ended up getting dismissed from the place where she worked because people didn't want the nail to be driven home that sin might be in their own camp. Aren't we all like that sometimes? If it's someone we know, we tend to give them a pass. If it's our own sin, we say, well, you know, I meant well. I didn't really intend to, to do that. We, we brush it over. But then when we see the sin in someone else's life, oh, man, we stand on the word of God. And they need to know that that is sin. Certainly, we need to stand on the word of God. But do you put your own life on the word of God? Do you open the pages of scripture and and pour through it and allow the Holy Spirit to instruct you where the sins are in your life? The problem here in the passage is not calling sin sin. The problem is standing over in judgment of other people when we do the same things. That's what Paul's getting at. There's a difference between calling people to repent and exalting ourselves as the judge over them. And so when we talk about sin, when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not coming and saying, I'm better than everyone else. We are like the alcoholic who says to someone else struggling with alcoholism, come, come and get healing. Come and, and take Uh, um, the recovery program that I am in myself. In other words, we're not saying I don't have a problem, but you have a problem. We're saying I have a problem, too, and come and find the solution to the problem that we both need. It's like the doctor who's treating cancer, but also says, I'm a patient cancer. I'm a patient of the chemotherapy as well. Do you remember the, the commercials for the, the baldness recovery stuff where the guys would say, you know, not only am I selling it, but I'm also a client. Uh, you know, it's, it's like that. Not only am I saying sin is sin, not only am I saying that you need to come before the Lord Jesus Christ and, and believe in him. I'm saying I had to do that. And from where I'm standing, I was not morally superior to you. The only difference between you and me is Jesus opened my eyes. And I want you to see Jesus. We can't judge other people without ourselves coming before the cross of Christ. Second, this morning, 
If you understand what sin is and you judge others for it, but you do it yourself, you will face God's judgment. And here, Paul is just straightforward with us. We are heaping up God's wrath on ourselves. Oh, how easy is it to read through Romans 1 and say, that's right, the wrath of God coming against uh, idolatry, coming against homosexuality, coming against drunkenness, coming against all kinds of sin. And what does Paul say here? If I'm judging people for sins while I'm doing the same things, the wrath of God is coming against me. Look at verse 2. For we know that God's judgment rightly falls on those who practice such thing. We know this. In fact, most times if you're calling out sin, if you're being this judgmental one, that's why you're doing it. Because you know God judges sin. The problem is you never take that arrow and point it back at yourself and say, God's going to judge my sin too. The sinner will not escape the judgment of God. Look at verse 3. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge that those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? This is the problem. The person did think, I can rail against their sins. I can do them myself, but I will escape the judgment of God because I know God. Because I've read my Bible because I grew up in church. Again, Romans 2.23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. We are not justified before God by what sins we call out in others. I don't earn brownie points with God. I don't make Him like me more because I rail against other people, particularly if I have sins in my own life that are unconfessed, I cannot wash them away by railing on other people. So often in our life, it's a sad fact that sometimes the people that are most vocal in railing against particular sins, and and I mean like overabundantly vocal about it, are the people that are covering those very things up in their own life. It's a cover. It's a sort of coping mechanism that, that I can I cannot deal with the guilt and the pressing weight of my own sin if I'm being very zealous for God in calling out sin in other people. Israel, in various places in the Old Testament and in Jesus' day, fell into this trap. How easy for, was it for them to say, look how God loves us. He gave us the law. And then not worry about obeying it. Deuteronomy warns them when they get into the promised land, they're not supposed to look around at all the other nations and say, God gave this to us because we were more righteous. Because we were better than other people. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses has to remind them at the very time God was giving you the law on Mount Sinai, you were down below making an idol. You were cheating. You were doing the very idolatry that the nations that you drive out were doing. You're not better than them. And don't think you are. 
The unrepentant person is storing up judgment for the day of God's wrath. Look at verse 5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when the righteous judgment will be revealed. Notice here the focus on the hard and impenitent heart. This is the person that is not acknowledging what's going on in their own life. This is the person that is covering and keeping sins secret in their own life as they rail against others. They are hardened. They don't want to confront their own life. And what are they doing? They're storing up judgment on the day of wrath. Notice that God's judgment will be righteous. God doesn't play favorites. In fact, Paul says in verse 11, God does not show partiality. You know what it means to be partial. When you, when you favor someone, when, when you cut someone a little slack because you like them, or they were nice to you, or they were generally a, a good person. Sometimes as parents, we get in trouble with our kids because they think we're not uh, meeting out our punishments or our grounding of them with the same equality. And so they accuse us of saying, well, you like so-and-so better because they never get in trouble like I do. I know I said that to my parents, and now sometimes my kids say it to me. We think there's a partiality going on. And, and we instinctively recognize that if you're showing partiality, if you're playing favorites, if you're not being fair, there's something wrong. If two people get caught for speeding, doing the exact same crime in the exact same place, and the one person uh, gets a pass, the cop just writes it off and says, okay, don't do it again. But the other person, the cop brings the full extent of the law on them. We would say, hey, that's not, that's not fair. How comes you got out of the ticket and I didn't? The point of the passage is there are people that feel, hey, God loves me. I have a special relationship with God. I know my Bible. I know the law. I'm, I'm a good Jewish person or I'm a good Christian or I was baptized as an infant and I grew up in Sunday school and I've done all the things that I was supposed to. God's not going to judge me like he is that sinner over there. God's judgment will be righteous. It will be 100% fair. And unless you are repenting of your sins and coming before the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have no way of standing before God. You won't be able to say on the day of judgment, here are the good things that I did for you, God. Thank goodness I wasn't like that sinner over there. The scriptures often warn even that, that people who know better but do it anyways, God's judgment is more severe for them. So when Jesus goes out and he evangelizes the various towns and preaches repentance to, to all of Israel, he says to them that it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Because they heard and didn't repent. And Sodom and Gomorrah were, were guilty and sinful, but it's almost as if they didn't know better. They didn't have a preacher that came and shared with them. They knew it was wrong, but, but no one came along and shared repentance with them. But these people, these towns that Jesus went to, how much worse is it? Because they know better. They heard the Bible. They heard the law. They heard Jesus himself. And they still rejected. Please 
don't sit in church every Sunday. Hear the word of God. Hear what the Bible says. And not come before Jesus and repent. Don't sit there even as a Christian and think that because you have the Holy Spirit now, because you've experienced the grace of God, you were somehow in a way always better than everyone else. Have compassion for somebody that's an unbeliever, that that you and I were no better off when we were dead in our sins. That doesn't excuse sin, but recognize where you came from. And how God was tender with you and gracious with you and and lovingly opened your eyes to see the truth of the gospel. And when you share the gospel, plead with people to come and take the same medicine, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you yourself know is your only hope of salvation. Sometimes as Christians, we do act like we're better than other people. We can be kind of smug but it shouldn't be that way oh it should not be that way the third thing this morning if you understand what sin is god's kindness was to bring you to repentance and so we have this idea that we're not to presume the grace of god look at verse four or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience Do not assume that because God was good and kind to you, that you are better and thus automatically saved. Again, this is the sin that particularly the Jewish people were vulnerable to. They, hey, we have the law. Hey, God chose us for salvation. He brought us out of Egypt. He gave us the promised land. Thank goodness we are not like those Gentiles. Don't presume on the kindness of God. Was God kind to Israel? Yeah. Did he bring them up out of Egypt? Absolutely. Is it a good thing that they had the prophets and the Bible and the law written for them? Yeah, absolutely. But all of these things, all of these wonderful gifts that God brought into their life was supposed to bring them to their knees and say, I need God and the coming Messiah. I need Jesus Christ. Maybe you've grown up in a church. Or maybe you're raising your kids to grow up in a church. You're bringing them faithfully to Sunday school. You're hearing the Word of God regularly. They're hearing the Word of God regularly. Maybe you grew up in a good Christian home. All of those things are kind and good gifts from God. And we should thank God for them. But God didn't give you those things because you were somehow better. Don't presume on God's kindness. How much more, because you had the opportunity, because you heard the Bible from a young age, how much more should you and I be repentant? Because God was good to us along the way. God wasn't good to me because I was better than other people. God didn't cause me to be born in a Christian home because he said, that Tim Bertolat, look how smart he is. Look how great he's going to be one day. He's going to be awesome at railing against other sinners. 
I was born just as much a sinner as everybody else. And to my shame in my life, I haven't always recognized that. But the kindness and the goodness of God and all of these opportunities that he gave me along the way was his grace in leading me to repentance so that I cannot come with a smugness and say, look at who I am. But it's even more, I should be getting lower than other people and saying, look at what I need. I counseled someone one time, and and I don't think it would be wrong for me to reveal, just in a very broad sense, the, the, the details. But I remember the husband and the wife. And the husband had some particular sins, and the wife had some particular sins. And the husband's sins were known to the congregation. He had been put on church discipline at one point. And the husband bore a bit of shame because of those sins. People knew what he had been through. The wife's sins, and they're both, well, the one has passed away now, the husband, but they they were both godly people, and I have tremendous respect for them. But the wife's sins in her life were very private, were very secret. You wouldn't know by looking at her through... You wouldn't know by looking her at some of the things that she'd been through. Some of the ways she'd wronged God in her sins. And they were both very honest. They were saved because of the grace of God. And the wife didn't look at the husband and think that she was somehow better because look at all these sins that he does. And ironically... I wouldn't be surprised if there were some people in the congregation that from time to time thought, oh man, why does that woman stay with that husband? Because look at all the sins he's done. They knew that before the foot of the cross, they were equal. They were just as much sinners as each other. Oh, that we would be like that. Not presuming on the grace of God, but recognizing His kindness and His forbearance and having it lead us to repentance. So we leave you with that this morning, the Word of God. Do not judge other people and practice the same things. Do not Let the good gifts that God has given you make you start to think that you are better than other people. That God somehow loves you more. Each and every sinner that is saved is saved by grace. And you might be a little farther along in your Christian maturity. You might have had more opportunities along the way. Or maybe you've just been a Christian for more years than someone else sitting around you today. But that doesn't mean that you're less of a sinner. That doesn't mean that you're somehow, because of that, better in the eyes of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are being saved, being justified in Christ. Being saved by grace 
having been justified in Christ through faith in him. We are all equal before the foot of the cross. Two questions as we close. Am I smug in my attitude? Do I see myself as morally superior and then use it to judge others? Or or do I repent because the kindness that God has shown me? Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, you have given us so many good gifts all around us. Just the opportunity to be here today, just the opportunity to to carry in with us a, a copy of the word of God that we didn't have to sneak in in secret, that we can tell people where we were this morning. We can post on Facebook that we went to church today. We don't have to hide. So many good gifts. So many opportunities and so many times, Lord, in our hearts, we don't repent. We don't come before you and see your, the goodness and the greatness of your riches and acknowledge that all we have is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. All that we have ultimately comes to you, from you and is to be returned to you for your honor and glory. Remind us today. That we, each one of us, need the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covering our sins. And keep us and protect us, Lord, from hypocrisy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you could stand with us again. We're going to repeat, Jesus paid it all.
Let's, uh, let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day that we could gather here today to worship and, and honor you. We do pray that you would be honored in all these things, that we would come before you as, as uh, lowly, humbled people, knowing that we need the Lord Jesus Christ to continually work in us. We thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. We ask that you to watch over us and keep us safe as we go out from here. Uh, protect us, Lord, uh, and draw us back in to worship you again. In Jesus' name we